Hey there, we're the West Slot Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skuzkowspo. Well guys, um, this is the last weekend that we uh, don't have to be committed to watch Big Ten football. So, I, any apple picking anyone needs to get done this weekend, get it done this weekend because starting next week, we've got nine straight weeks of Northwestern football. It's still, I still almost can't believe it. It's so funny you joke about that, but we actually are going to Galena this weekend. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, and that was some, that was a trip that I was originally trying to figure out how I was going to shoehorn in the middle of the season. And now it's like, yep, last weekend, get it in. So that's what we're doing. Well, and even, I mean, heck, next Saturday, you can do whatever you want most of the day because cats kick off at 6.30 p.m., right? That's right. That's right. Uh, Northwestern Maryland, uh, evening game on Big Ten Network, 6.30 central kickoff, which is, uh, that's cool, you know? It's under the portable lights. Hopefully the weather won't be too gnarly. But, uh, yeah, we've been previewing the rest of the conference. Um, I think it's time we take a look at Northwestern uh, this year. Uh, before we get into the Northwestern preview, just wanted to mention, um, you know, we've heard from a bunch of different uh, alumni groups around the country, um, Northwestern alumni groups. Uh, you know, Obviously, watch parties are not a thing this year, uh, you know, for very obvious reasons. But, you know, if anyone has events or other things that you want us to plug, reach out to us. Let us know. We'd be happy to, to talk up things. I mean... It's it's a shame no one's going to be able to get together at Blondie's this year uh, out in New York City. I know John, you've uh, you've watched many a game at Blondie's, right? Several. I'm f- fortunate to have uh, a uncle in law who lives uh, very close to Blondie's, and um, first one that jumps out is Boston College forgetting about the 10 second runoff at the end of our game against them a couple years back. That was a crazy one. Um, but yeah, no. But I mean, there's. It's just, you know, that's a fantastic Northwestern sports bar. And obviously there are a lot of those around the country um, that are not going to be the usual raucous atmospheres that, that they usually are. And that includes Chicago, too. Um, and right. So for everyone, you know, thinking outside the box, thinking about Zoom events, thinking about et cetera, as as those ideas percolate um, and, the you know, the Northwestern creativity uh, bubbles to the surface and, and you come up with great ideas, pass them along to us and we'll shout them out. Yeah, for sure. Um, so with that, let's, before we, again, before we jump into the, the preview, um, it's just a, a few news and notes bits uh, to talk about that will potentially influence our, our preview. Um, in a press conference last week, uh, Pat Fitzgerald basically said there was a number of people who were going to be opting out, and he he, he would let us know in the future. Um, I know we've all you know, we were all hoping like something would come out over the weekend or something would come out you know up and up today even, but uh, to this point, as we record this on Wednesday, um, no news on who's opting out. Um, I, I think. You know, we, we, we have no inside knowledge, but I think the three of us all kind of have a hunch of someone who might be in that list. Yeah, well, it's it's funny because we've all been talking about this and we it's an easy way to make it clear. We are not 
media members. I mean, some of you may consider us media members, I suppose. We're sort of in that gray area, but we're certainly not credentialed media who are going to press conferences, virtual or uh, or otherwise. And we want to say that, like, I suppose there's a difference between um, knowing Hunter Johnson isn't going to be playing this year and just sitting on it, and then us who legitimately do not know one way or another if Hunter Johnson is playing, but just strongly suspect that he is not playing this year. Um, and, you know, we're kind of reading, reading between the lines, reading the tea leaves, but... Right, I think we were kind of talking. Well, um, it's 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 the absence of tea leaves, right? Right, yeah. exactly. I, I mean, like like there has been just no conversation around Hunter this off season, and you know his name is in various articles here and there. I think you know today I was looking, I was reading um, Inside End News recap of the discussion with Mike Hankowitz and Mike Bajakian as you know they they had their press conferences today and. There's nearly a question or a comment or a mention of Hunter, and and that's the key—the nary a question or comment. Yeah, right. and that—that's—that's—it's just odd. And you know what? Here's the thing: like, if if he had decided, if he decided to transfer, I like I would understand. Um, if he decided to opt out, because you know, there's um, you know, you think about what his family went through last year, and and like medical stuff is on the mind for them. Like, I like good on him right like 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 i don't want to speculate as to the why or exactly the what but it feels like that's some information that we're going to be expecting now we're all on the record on this podcast like we think jalen uh peyton ramsey is going to be the qb uh he's a proven commodity with legit big like he's a proven good big 10 quarterback like this is not you know a uh a fixer upper or something of that nature. This isn't, this isn't Brandon Peters going from Michigan to Illinois and continuing to not be great. Um, <laughs> so like, I don't know that it affects the 2020 season one way or another, but um, it's something that we certainly all have our eyes on. And I think every time there's one of these, you know, press conferences or something that the three of us are furiously texting each other going, man, what's going on. Well, one one reason I, I could another reason potentially you know he might be sitting if he does indeed sit, which again we don't know, um, you know, just speculation. That we're just going to couch that a million times. Um, with Ramsey and T.J. Green, both theoretically, you know, one and done at this point. Even though, yes, both of them could come back again next year if they wanted to, because this year is not going to be counted as a, a year of eligibility burned, but. Presumably, those guys are going to be moving on. Um, I, I would imagine after this season, one way or the other, and for him to, you know, not be there this season, step back and then come back in twenty twenty one, you know, pres- presumably to be right there in the forefront of uh, of running the squad in twenty one. Potentially, right. I do think, too, you know, with everyone being granted that extra year of eligibility, I do think you kind of have to look at off the field stuff. And again, like you said, we're going to couch a million times. We are speculating. But um, Hunter's family went through a horrible year the year before a pandemic hit. And we don't have any like, you know, it's not like necessarily we know that things are just right as rain with, you know, his mother's health at this point. Like we don't have those details. But you know, when you have a situation like that and then a major public health issue, et cetera. I mean, it's, it's like, again, this is all speculation, but it's all to say 
there is a non-football reason that is incredibly legitimate for him to want to opt out and be like, look, I'm going to take this sorely needed opportunity to just go be with those who I, you know, those closest to me um, in a time when for a lot of people, it's really hard to get that time. So, um, you know, it there could be others on the list that we're just not thinking of, etc. But right, tea leaves, lack of tea leaves. We kind of are of the opinion that not only is he sitting, but that this is something that may be known within media circles um, and is just kind of being unspoken. And then if that's true, you know, then that's fine. But but, you know, that's kind of our lean. But that, that being said, you know, in there was uh, some social media posts, some videos that uh, came out on the official Northwestern uh, Twitter feed today, uh, kind of highlighting Bajakian. And Hunter is in uniform. I mean, they, they do pan to show a number 15 in uniform practicing. So who knows? And, you know, again, this just goes back to like, we just don't know. So all we're left to do is, is speculate. If he's, if, if he's a one on the depth chart and this is all smoke and mirrors, I will be first in line to eat my words. Let me just be clear. I'll, I'll throw it all away in a second. If it puts Hunter, Hunter under center in the potential for this offense, but, but I Ma, give me my tinfoil hat. That's right. <laughs> Well, uh, let's talk about this team. I mean, we've been, you know, talking about it uh, throughout this offseason, this lengthy offseason. Um, but, you know, again, not having a depth chart, not knowing who's opting out. All we can go is, with is uh, who's on the roster and, and who we are anticipating to see. Um, but you know, defensively, coming back this year, pretty much everybody. I mean, we lose a couple guys on the on the defensive line, but secondary linebackers they're all back john i mean this is a solid defense and everyone's back it's it is it absolutely is no you're totally right and it's it's really weird to try to work this over because especially over the past couple of years i've made a lot of effort because i you know i've spent the whole summer previewing everyone else's defense to kind of try to step outside the bubble and be like, okay, well, what if I was previewing Northwestern the way I previewed everyone else? What would I say, right? And on one hand, that provides a useful metric because it allows me to step back and look and be like, if I knew nothing about this team and I was just evaluating by stats, I'd be like, how is this, how is a team that is this bad at getting to the quarterback a productive defense? And that would be my starting place. Because it is like, you take Gaz out, and there ain't no one worse in the conference at getting to the quarterback than Northwestern is. But then, that's where it's so difficult to step out and step in, because being inside the program, there are all these ready-made answers to this question, right? That are not even baked into the kind of things that a national media person would drop in and say, and be like, oh yeah, but you know they have Patty Fisher and Blake Gallagher, and it's like, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. Yes, that's all true. But it's the way that our defensive line is constructed and the kind of things we go after, etc. But just understand that the reason Northwestern, so there were, there were, I mean, of the 14 teams in the Big Ten last year, nine of them were pretty much could claim to be very good on defense, um, at least good. And that group starts with Indiana. But like, for point of reference, Northwestern was eighth, but we were better in total yards than Penn State was last year. Um, it's a tight bunch of good defenses there. And we did that despite having the fact that we basically had two guys who got to the quarterback 
at all last year. Gaz with a bullet and Alex Miller. And if you look at the fact that Northwestern had a shockingly good pass defense for a team that gets to the quarterback this poorly, you mentioned Sam Wright. We bring a ton back, but Gaz was a huge contributor because he is kind of the uber version of everything Northwestern tries to produce in a defensive lineman, where he's so big and so powerful that even though it's kind of not his modus operandi, he still gets to the quarterback with regularity. And when you threw that in, and you threw how good Greg Newsom was at covering when he was healthy, suddenly you have something there. Um, but the real question for me, and that's that's the weird thing, is with this defensive line, um, and you mentioned, Sam, right before you were talking about eligibility, right? And you're saying, well... With all these guys getting an extra year, you know, you're going to kick the tires on a lot of guys. And you're like, so a guy like Tara Edwards, is he going to see the field? And your instinct reaction is, sure, he looks amazing. And then you look at our defensive tackles and it's like, there are eight guys who are all good to great in front of him on the depth chart. That's how stacked we are at defense, at defensive tackle. And even if you look at our ends. You look at Sam Dup Miller and Ernest Brown were hurt a ton of last year. If one of those guys is healthy, that is another potentially dominant force at defensive end. But you're still looking for a guy to get to the quarterback. Um, what, what about a guy like Devin O'Rourke? So, <laughs> we were joking about this. You mentioned, right, you talked earlier about uh, Fitz's statement, or I think Scuzzo was you talked about Fitz's statement, um, or one of you did, um, about news will be coming in the future, right? And you almost, you know, about opt outs, you almost see like Fitz in his Machiavelli and like spinning his fingers, being, yes, in the future, that might be a month, it might be a year that I shall let you know. Um, and the way Fitz is so cagey, legendarily cagey. Um, and we all kind of talk about that and we give it a lot of lip service, etc. But then there are these moments where you suddenly go, oh, my God, is he cagey? And you kind of see the twisted genius of it all. So for you guys listening at home, one of the biggest recruits in Northwestern history was hurt all of last year. And if Sam hadn't just teed it up, you wouldn't know that it was Devin O'Rourke. Um, he played in two games last year and had no stats. Um, and last year was not his redshirt year. That was the year before he was hurt all of last year. And it's the kind of situation where we just didn't know that because Fitz is so good at just not delivering this information and kind of pushing things below the surface. But you're talking about one of the biggest recruits in Northwestern history who will be in his third year in the program. Um, and this is one of those things where it's important to draw a, a line here because when you think about what Northwestern does well, you can look and you'd be like, okay, so, you know, 24 and a half tackles for loss are being lost last year just between Gaztown and Alex Miller. And we didn't have another guy who had more than six. And the next three guys in the list are linebackers. So you're talking about an ungodly amount of defensive line production just from two guys for a team that ain't great at getting to the quarterback anyway, right? 
But then you could look and you can, you know, to borrow from Moneyball, you can be like, well, we can try to rec- recreate these guys in the aggregate because summed up Miller was hurt a ton of last season and so was Ernest Brown. So if you get those guys back, they're healthy, they're seniors, they're both really talented. You're going to get a lot of production from those guys. But what you're still searching for, and this is the kind of thing Northwestern's perennially searching for, is that a Fadi Adenabo type, right? Um, and I think if you look at the list of guys who actually fit that mold, you forget because he's 6'6", that O'Rourke is that kind of guy. He was like 6'6", 230 coming out of high school. He had to gain a ton of weight just to get to 6'6", 265. He's a rush end. Um, and if he's healthy and can be that dominant force, um, that's the kind of impact player. Tommy Adebaware, obviously, and Ekuliota are are the other two. Um, it's those guys. You, you don't you don't have Ernest Brown in that in that bunch. Oh, so well, so Ernest Brown I kind of put with summed up Miller. Um, and yes, Brown's around the outside, but still, I think you get a lot of power from Brown. Um, and I just kind of so I I look at Brown and I say there's a really good chance that you get a reasonable expectation that you get the kind of numbers from him that you got from Alex Miller last year. If Brown goes healthy. Right, seven and a half tackles for loss and four sacks, which is what Alex Miller put up last year, that would be pretty reasonable. And if you got that two times over from Brown and from Miller, that does a lot in terms of making up the production that you're losing, right? And I think the were we to take that, right? If you take those two guys and you say those are your lunch pail ends and they can stay healthy all season, we have this un just stupid defensive tackle depth. I mean, we go for days on defensive tackles. Ain't no one running against that defensive line. So then, okay, third down, then what happens? Um, And I think you're looking for a tweener. I mean, and it could be, you know, in um, Tommy, uh, um, uh, I said Adebaware. Um, No, yeah, Tommy Adebaware. Um, is you know, you look at him and you're like, okay, there's a guy who's like 6'3", 245, 250. Like, he's that guy, a pure rush end, a third down kind of end. Um, we were joking because we have a true freshman this year, Jaden Cameron, who is absolutely that kind of guy. You're talking about a guy who was like 6'3", 225 in high school, defensive end. He's bulked up a little bit, but he's a tweener, speed rush end. And we were joking, if... He goes to Illinois, which I don't even know if he had an Illinois offer. He's, let's be honest, uh, a little bit higher level than Illinois. But um, if he if he had gone to Illinois, he's exactly the kind of guy who goes to Illinois and puts up seven sacks as a true freshman for a garbage defense because they're just like, we're just going to put you on the field all day and you'll just try to get around the outside of the end. And we don't care that you're 225 pounds and that we're going to get run over on every other play. At the end of the day, you'll have seven sacks, and that'll be something that we can write home about. And it's like Northwestern doesn't operate that way at all. Um, it, at most, a guy like that at that weight is going to be a third down kind of guy, and that's okay. But we have to hit on one of these guys, someone who just gets sacks, and that's what he goes for. So that's my that's my starting place for the defensive line. A defensive line that honestly is going to be otherwise fantastic. Well, I mean, we, we all assume that the linebackers are going to be otherworldly. I mean, Patty Patty Fisher, you know, he's 
trying to make up for last year. I mean, last year was a disappointment as, as far as coming off the year before. So, you know, if he's going to be looking to make, you know, make the leap to the NFL, he's going to have to have a great year. But um, Gallagher, Bergen, those guys, I mean, the linebackers are just stacked. It's, it's ludicrous. Um, the, I mean, we've been talking about this, but since Michael Parsons opted out at Penn State, there are two linebacker cores that lord over the rest of the Big Ten. I mean, it's not close. And it's Northwestern and Wisconsin. And they are completely different from each other. It's funny. I think about a guy, Jack Sanborn, who's going to be an ace for Wisconsin this year. He'll be one of the best players in the conference. Um being used as a linebacker in almost the polar opposite way he would have been used had he chosen to go to Northwestern instead of Wisconsin because we just use our linebackers in a totally different way. Wisconsin, um, they are throwing their linebackers at quarterbacks and into the backfield with abandon. Um, and are, and, you know, they have a defensive scheme that is blitzing those guys and throwing them in a million different ways. And it's like they're all four defensive ends and linebackers at the same time. They operate in a completely different way. But if you want to talk a standard 4-3 and you can compare basically uh, Northwestern to every team in the con- conference that's not Wisconsin, we have the best first best linebacker, the best second best linebacker, and the best third best linebacker. That's not hyperbole. We are way better than every other linebacker core in the country, uh, uh, in the conference. Iowa ain't close. Ohio State ain't close. Penn State without Parsons ain't close. This is just the reality of the situation. Those guys are unbelievable. And I mean, knock wood, they all started every game last season. And I think there there is depth behind those guys, but you know, people talk about, well, are what are the things that you're worried about, etc. Like I'm not worried about this group. They're unbelievable and we're one of the, you know, I'm knocking wood furiously, but I mean, like, it's, it's the depth is such and the talent is such that two of these guys is still an awesome linebacker core. Like, I previewed every linebacker core in the conference this year. Every one of these, every other linebacker core in the conference would kill to have two of these guys, let alone three. Um, and again, we go back to this defensive line in front of them is going to be great against the run. And even with Gastown gone, and with these guys, it's such a solid group um, that eventually, you know, we'll get to it when we get to the offense. But they were hamstrung by the offense last year. And, right, I mean, and we know, you know, Patty put playing to improve his draft stock, um, which is a real motivator for him. Um, and and really Gallagher, too. But it's, it is. It's an unparalleled group of linebackers. Every other team in the Big Ten, except maybe Wisconsin, and again, it's an apples and oranges comparison, would take our linebacker core over their linebacker core. It's just a reality. They're that good. John, do you recall how often last year we went to just two linebackers? Not as often. Um, I think... I think part of it was Bergen's ability to play flex, which, I mean, I could be wrong about this, but I think back and I'm like, I think Bergen has the ability to play a little bit more nickel style football Um, because I'm trying to think and I'm like, who was playing that role? 
of course, it's so hard. I mean, not to step on the secondary, but it's so hard to think about a time when we weren't just like, you know, a little bit of duct tape and dental floss back in the secondary. Um, yeah, but, the depth back there. Uh, right. I mean, at the start of the year, I want to say like Hampton nominally was that role, but then he was starting a little while in. So um, I, 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 my general take on Northwestern's defense is that we have seen the best results from that defense when they are able to flex a effectively flex a linebacker, i.e. Nate Hall into coverage. I don't know. I like Chris Bergen is, is not as good as Nate Hall in that regard. Um, but I suspect we'll see a lot of times where Bergen's off the field. Travis Willick is in that like hybrid Rover role. And you've got like Bryce Jackson filling in as, as your second safety. That's certainly, or a Coco Azima or someone like that. Like, absolutely. I mean, I think the, it will certainly be interesting. And of course the flip side is taking Bergen off the field. Cause he's awesome. <laughs> I know he's really good, but like that I, no, speed, especially against like RPO teams like Minnesota or Nebraska, like totally, totally. And I think it's, it's going to be a problem with RPO, but also just kind of third down in general. I mean, you all know if you've been listening to the pod for a while that, you know, you either, you either just know from listening to us or you know from watching a lot of football, you know the way um, Coach Hankowitz operates, right? He will gladly surrender pass yards for the greater good. And that leads to a lot of cushions. It leads to a lot of underneath stuff, right? He is focused on stuffing you on the ground. And if you want to throw yourself into a box in the red zone where he can have, you know, put you in a sardine can and he'll stuff you there. Um, but you still have to be able to get to the quarterback. And that's what kind of brings me to the second part of this, which is as good as Gaz was, Greg Newsom is like the unsung hero of this defense. He's so good, folks. He's one of the best cover corners in the Big Ten. And when he's healthy... It is this pivot point for the whole rest of the defense. Very few teams in the conference have two great cover corners. If Newsom is out there, Cam Ruiz is more than good enough to be that number two guy. And if it's not Ruiz, A.J. Hampton's good enough to be that number two guy. But Newsom is so good. Um, and he was hurt for a good part of last year. But you realize kind of how much that matters because with Travis Willick, you accept what he is because he's so good at what he is. This is a guy who is a safety and had one pass breakup last year. <laughs> and, you and you accept he's, that because he's a tackling machine. Right. He's Steve Atwater, right? Right. He's, he's going to hit you hard, but you know, maybe not the best in coverage, but he's going to be like the last line of defense, just smack you in the mouth. Exactly. I don't think he's bad in coverage. I just no, no, don't I'm, think saying, I'm not saying he's bad, a, but his like, strength uh, lies elsewhere. He, he's well, the evolution of of Ibrahim Campbell to me, right? Like the, sure. like the safety that is just like is a thunderous weapon against the run and is serviceable. Um, well, I think dropping back. Well, it's like so. I think of Indiana last year, right? And he was one of those guys who at times looked lost in coverage in the Indiana game when the wheels really fell off. Kind of in you know, I guess it was in the first half because it wasn't so much in the second half, but. Um, the, the issue is by that point we had corners hurt and it's a situation where 
it's it's interesting to juxtapose cornerback with defensive end because with defensive end there is the pressure to find someone right it is if assuming that that brown and miller are not hurt and can play there's still the pressure to find someone else who steps outside of the mold around which the rest of our current defensive line is built, right? You need a tweener. You need a pure burn guy who can pressure on third down. In the secondary, it's a little different. If no one's hurt, I'll go to war with the guys that we have all day. J.R. Pace, Cam Ruiz, Greg Newsom, and Travis Willick, yes. I will go to war with those guys. And to Scuzz's point, if you're pulling Willick down into a nickel situation so you can put a Bryce Jackson back there or a Coco Azima back there, um, so much the better. Like, I'll go to war with those guys. But Newsom truly is a pivot point because he's so good at a position where we are otherwise pretty untested. Um, and it's interesting because this year you're going to see a, a couple of guys. Cameron Mitchell and Rod Hurd um, are both going to be redshirt freshmen at this point. And I would expect that um, it's a situation where those guys will be future major contributors. They were both big time cornerback recruits. They both have a world of potential. Um, but, you know, unlike the defensive line, I like my hope is that we just ride with the guys that we know we have out there and they can stay healthy because that unit is good enough. Um, and again, Newsom is the kind of guy that when you a have a defensive scheme that's more than happy to allow guys to throw underneath um, and you also have an inability to get to the quarterback which we're probably going to have um, for certain stretches especially against teams with better offensive lines you need guys that can cover and having him matched up on the other team's number one receiver I think is going to be crucial so I hate to you know pin my hopes on that um but, you know, it's like anything. He's one of our best players, and we need him for more than, you know, we got him for three quarters of the games last year, and we need him for more than that this year. Well, let's let's take a look at the offensive side of the ball. Um, Scuzz, I'll, I'll let you drive here. I mean, we've, we've talked about the quarterbacks to death. I, should we talk about another position group before we, uh, before we get there? Well, I kind of want to focus on. I've kind of got a little bit of a different, different okay. mold. Yeah, here. let's um, do it. So, I mean, I think I want to start with returns and losses and the problem with Mick McCall. And because I mean, we we only have like twenty thirty minutes, <laughs> like. I... <laughs> so I mean, well, this won't take long because I think we've that's another horse that we've kind of beaten to death. But the reality is we don't lose much on this offensive side of the ball. I mean, the biggest name is Rashawn Slater. That is a pretty massive loss. Uh, we'll get to the O-line later on, but like, you know, as a rock solid left tackle, probably the second best left tackle in the conference, a guy that was, you know, um, is going to get drafted. Like there's no easy or obvious replacement there. I think knowing that the, knowing the state of offensive line recruiting and coaching and a number of other things, I think we feel at least, reasonable that Northwestern can, can weather that loss. Um, beyond that, Bennett Skronik, who transferred to Notre Dame, missed most of last season injured anyway. And then the aforementioned, you know, we're, we're anticipating maybe Hunter Johnson is, is uh, opting out this year just because we have not heard his name talked about at all in, uh, in the preamble to the season. But 
beyond that, I mean, this is a team that adds John Rain, uh, a transfer from For- Florida Atlantic, a tight end who is used to attacking downfield in a wide-open offense. We add Peyton Ramsey. Um, we're going to spend some time on him later. And we add Mike Pajakian, and that's, that's huge. I, and I think, you know, this offense is going to look dramatically different from what we've seen at Northwestern for the last 10 years. Thank God. Um, yeah. Now, that being said, we're not going to be running the air raid. We're going to be running the ball a lot. Um, I imagine we're still going to be a relatively conservative team as, as things go in college football. But I think what we can expect to see is an adaptation to Northwestern's players as opposed to a rigid, I don't know, um, a rigid philosophy, which, which forces the players to mold to it. And then when that, when those players struggle or aren't, aren't getting it right or aren't quite a good fit for the for the, for the system, the system gets simplified and scaled back and, um, becomes hyper predictable. I mean, I think, I think that's the, the, the cornerstone of what we saw last year is this and, and in years prior as well, let's be honest that this offense just became super predictable. So, so I took a little stab here at exploring some of, I, I almost, I almost have analyzed the, the Boston college offense more than the Northwestern offense to prepare for this. Cause I want to take a look at what coach Jake did at Boston college and at Tampa Bay and just infer some similarities of what we might see from Northwestern this year. And the first thing I want to start with is that we have all, from from the day he was hired back in December of last year, we've all been talking about the big sets. He ran a lot of tight ends at Boston College, uh, multiple tight end sets. You know, Northwestern has this legacy with the Superback. We have had some really good players there. Last year, that was a, a deficiency for our offense with Trey Pugh injured and nobody else really effective at playing both a both a, a pass catching and blocking role. And we're all thinking, oh wow, that you know he's going to run a lot of big sets. We're going to run a lot out of those big sets, um, and then we're going to throw deep. So here's something that's interesting. I looked at the snap counts for Boston College last year, and, and it's, it's hard to find these numbers for college. So I've really only got the first game, which was against Virginia Tech, and it was the only game in which uh, they had Anthony Brown, their, their true starting QB for the season, which I think is just instructive because it tells you a little bit more of like this is what they were planning to do all year. There were 77 offensive snaps for Boston College in that game. There were 167 total tight end snaps in that game. <laughs> they played They played it. On average, more than two tight ends per per offensive snap. That's wait. So can you list me that number again? Seventy-seven snaps and one hundred and sixty-seven tight end snaps. One hundred and sixty-seven tight end snaps is more than five times as many receiving yards as our tight ends had last year. <laughs> <laughs> but so here's what's interesting. So now go back to the NFL when he was with Tampa Bay in 2018. 1,115 total snaps, only 1,400 tight end snaps. That meant that he only had two tight ends on the field on roughly 300 snaps or about 28% of the offense in 2018. And you know that when he came to college like, or when he was interviewed, when he was with Tampa, all he talked about was how much he wanted to deploy like multiple sets and multiple tight ends and that kind of perspective in college. What this tells me is we've got an offensive coordinator that thinks 
very, very deeply about the personnel he has and what is going to set them up for success. He, We are not going to see Northwestern go on the field and roll out John Rain, Trey Pugh, and Charlie Mangieri on a whole bunch of plays this year. It's just not going to happen. We don't have the depth at that position. And this, to me, tells me that what we're probably going to see is I think there's, there's going to be plenty of times where we've got two tight ends on the field. But I think we're probably going to see a lot of the uh, 11 personnel that we saw under Mick McCall. And I've looked at, like, I'm looking at the roles that these guys played on Boston College. So Hunter Long was the leading receiver at tight end for Boston College last year. I do not believe John Rain is going to be our leading receiver at Northwestern this season. I think our wide receiver talent is a lot better than what Boston College had. Um, our depth is certainly a lot better than what Boston College has. And as a result, I think we're going to see more um, more multiple wide, wide receiver sets. But John Rain is the obvious starter at, at tight end. It makes the most sense. Interestingly, he's pretty short. He's only six foot two. Trey Pugh clocks in at, at 6'4". We know Trey Pugh has got the talent to be a, a dynamic pass-catching slash blocking tight end. The question is health. Um and we'll see what happens, right? I, you know, I, I think the drop off from those guys to the rest of the roster is pretty stark. And unless you've, you know, unless Jason Whitaker moving over to tight end has, um, has really, you know, elevated his, his play or maybe against Hooper price, um, Gordon too, Thomas Gordon, he's lines up in that space. Thomas Gordon, is he a uh, red shirt? Red shirt freshman. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So So he'll be in the mix. I recall, yeah, he was he was a decent recruit as well. So, so we'll see. But I just, I just, I don't think that that the tight. I think the tight end is going to be featured in this offense in ways that we haven't seen in several years. But I don't think it's going to be the focal point of the passing game. So, shifting down to the next guy, Kobe White was um, the second leading receiver at Boston College. Caught thirty balls for about five hundred yards. You're pretty typical receiver, right? So white six one, two hundred pounds. I I think you know this is where you slot in a Riley Lee's, um, Bryce Kurtz, uh, Berkeley Holman. I, you know I think a, a this is going to be your classic Northwestern receiver who can um, who can block at times, but is 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 going to be out there. Um, across from White was generally Zay Flowers. And this is where I think things get really interesting for Northwestern because Zay Flowers is super is super fast, right? He's like 5'11", uh, smaller dude, you know, kind of classic prototypical slot receiver. They moved him all over the field for Boston College. He ran the ball 30 times. We just heard Coach Jake spend a whole bunch of his press conference yesterday or today, whichever it was, um, talking about Malik Washington. Now, Malik Washington's a bit smaller than Flowers, but... Is a guy who had some flashes last year. Really, really fast dude. Runs a runs a four four forty, like four four four. Can absolutely fill this type of dynamic role in the offense and become the the X player, the Wandale Robinson at at, at Nebraska, etc. Um, Triple J, Kyrick McGowan also have skill sets here, but I I think we're gonna see a lot from Malik Washington in this you know, Zay Flowers-esque role as part of this offense. And then the the, the third or the fourth target is, I think, going to be uh, RCB. 
uh, Ramon Chakio Bowman, who um, has also gotten a lot of plaudits for uh, for his emergence. You know, we've we've. I th- I don't know why why I'm such a big fan of RCB. I think it's probably just his his flair and personality. Um, but he has demonstrated the ability to get some big catches. Um, I think you know if, if if you talk to the average fan for Northwestern, everybody just complains that the wide receivers can never get open. They never get separation. Yada yada yada. We've talked ad nauseum about how much we think this is a factor of. Mick McCall's offense and the inability to scheme players open and, and not, um, I, I, I mean, Zeke, Zeke Markshausen caught a whole hell of a lot of balls for Northwestern. That dude was not fast enough to get separation from defenders, right? Like, nope. Like th- th- there's no reason that this group of Northwestern receivers who has more athletic talent than any group that we've seen at this school, um, in total, don't have the athletic tools to get open and to, and to find space. And they, and they just need to put, be put in the right position to do so. So um, I think that last receiver is going to be RCB. The really interesting thing then becomes, what do you do with Kyrick McGowan? And I said to, I said to you guys earlier today, I think this is Kyrick McGowan's team this year. I think he is going to be um, everywhere. I, I think we're going to see him at running back. I think we're going to see him at receiver. I think we're going to see him as a focal point of this offense, much like we did toward the end of last year. And, you know, it's interesting to continue this, this comparison against Boston College. The thing that Northwestern does not have and will not have is a, a corollary to A.J. Dillon. A.J. Dillon was a 245-pound running back. Boston College's change of pace running back was 236 pounds. We do not have a guy on the roster within 20 pounds of either of these two dudes. Isaiah Bowers, Bowser is closest. Bowser is a straight ahead power runner. I think that skill set is going to be desired by Jakeian, but McGowan is, he just offers a dynamicism, dynamicism. Sorry. I bit the heck out of my tongue earlier today. I can barely talk right now. Um, but I just, I think McGowan has got an ability to, uh, to really power this team and, be that X factor that lines up all over the field. So how the other running backs come into play here. I mean, we have kind of an embarrassment of riches. John, you said earlier in the podcast, like, like we're going to see injuries at running back. It always happens. We always see a bunch of guys play. I kind of separate them into two groups. You've got your Bowser, your Cam Porter, your um, Jesse Brown, the bigger backs Uh, Brown getting the number one Jersey almost guarantees he's going to play this year. I think we've, we've, we've never seen a guy get the number one and not see the field in, in some meaningful way. And I suspect after a, you know, a really rough injury prone year last year that um, he's going to get a chance to contribute this, this season. I, I think Cam, Cam Porter, who's arguably one of the best recruits in Northwestern's class this year, coming out of Cincinnati. Um, I, same school as Jeremy Larkin. I, I would be very surprised if we don't see him at some point, especially given that, you know, there's going to be no, no loss of, of, uh, of scholarship year this year. And then you've got Evan Hall and, and, uh, and Drake Anderson, smaller, speedier, shiftier guys who, and then Kyrick, if you want to put him in that group too, Kyrick's like in the middle, right? Yeah. He's, he's, he's five ten. he's, he's 210 pounds. Like, He's got the speed, he's got the shiftiness, he's got the power. And this is where, 
Like I look, I look at this group of running backs, and if you're if you're a offensive coordinator who wants to be multiple, who wants to pass the ball out of running set, or who wants to you know run a ten and then drive play action, like who do you want on a wheel route more than Kyrick McGowan? Like who? Like for sure, who, no, yeah, for who, sure, no, absolutely. Who, who do you want attacking that space underneath the defense when they're dropping back on third down? Other than Kyrick McGowan, like I, I just I think he's going to be involved in so many ways in this offense. Um, they they didn't throw to the running back by a so ton many ways. Do you mean that? Do you mean they'll put him at, at wide receiver and then just run a telegraphed wide receiver sweep with him? Is that what you're saying, or do you mean they'll actually find ways to use him effectively? No, I think they'll actually find ways to use him effectively. And what's interesting, like I mean, I talked earlier about how there's no replacement for AJ Dillon because AJ Dillon is a, a physical beast. A.J. Dillon caught 13 balls his senior year. He was not a running back that you targeted out of the backfield very often. Bajakian loves players that can be multiple, and that's why I think Kirk McGowan is going to end up being the focus of this offense from that running back position because he can be leveraged in both of those spaces. And he almost becomes that he almost becomes that second tight end, right, that's, um, that's out there to, to cause matchup problems and confuse the defense. We were, I mean, it's funny for a couple of different facets. You were talking about RCB earlier, and I was thinking about, because everyone was talking about the big Nebraska comeback from 2018 this week, um, and I was thinking about how instrumental RCB was in at the end of that game catching the ball. <clears throat> but one of the other things that I remember is it's so crazy to think in that game that Solomon Vault and Chad Hanayoko were our running backs because our running back depth chart had been absolutely obliterated by that point in the game and vault wasn't even supposed to be a running back that year and was forced back to running back and then you look at the depth chart from this past year and it's just like it's maddening drake anderson who again it's like you know um papa damien raved about him um to you know jay like from late the posts when jay had him on the show and you know with it's a mix of there's real similarities there and some of that's just like proud papa but the one thing that jumps out with Drake when you look at him is that he played in 12 games last year. And that makes him so completely different from every other running back that we had. <laughs> and you realize that that was two years in a row where we were just shelled with running back injuries. I mean, like angry Northwestern running back hating God. Um, and it's funny. I mean, we think about Jesse Brown and part of the reason, you know, when Fitz gave him that number one is like everything this guy's battled through with injuries but I'm thinking back to the first game of the season, right, um, where you're watching him play against Stanford and being like, oh, my gosh, this guy looks awesome. And then he got hurt. And then Bowser got hurt. And it's like those two guys are both really good when they're healthy. And Porter looks like he's going to be awesome, too. So to your point, right, like there's no A.J. Dillon. There's no, oh, my God, this guy's like whatever he is. What is he, like 250 and runs 260? Yep. And runs a four seven forty four six forty like yeah we don't have that guy we do have really tough backs but for the love of God can they just stay healthy I mean John Moten was on the team last year and it's like these guys were all hurt um, and that's the thing it's like we talked about earlier it's like freshmen who are probably going to play I mean Cam Porter but to your point it's like if we get twelve games out of Isaiah Bowser. Um, you know, do with him what you want, right? Like, well, I mean, the, the, the max number we could get is nine. Oh yeah, nine. Yes, <laughs> true. I gotta that's ten those, if we get ten when we go bowling. But 
That's one of those things. Sorry. Oh, no, I'm, I'm including the playoff, Sam. So that's okay. Fun. Okay, fair, games, fair enough. Fair but, enough. Fair enough. Um, no, yeah, I'm. I mean, I I do think you know you're going to see Bowser play. I think you're going to see, you know, Brown. I, I think you're going to see all these guys run at some point. But I think, you know, I almost think that Northwestern is probably more likely to play 21 personnel, i.e., two running backs and one tight end, than they are to play one running back and two tight ends. I just like I, I guess my my point here, which was circuitous in arriving at it, is that Bajakian is con- going to continue to run a, a a dynamic multiple offense that that can do very different things out of the same sets, and unlike unlike Hunter Long, who was the guy that allowed the, them to do that at, at Boston College, I think it's Kyrick McGowan that allows them to do that at Northwestern, and if you get the Trey Pew that we think you can get if Malik Washington can morph into that that speedy player that you want him to be. And if you get, frankly, the what we've seen in the past from a Riley Lees and, a, and an RCB, I mean, you're, you're talking about a really awesome set of weapons. Absolutely. Uh, I think we should arrive to it kind of the the one place that we haven't really talked about yet relative to the offense, which is um, the offensive line. Yeah. And obviously, this the, is the big question mark, frankly, for absolutely. And I think there it's really fascinating because, you know, Rashawn Slater is he's our biggest loss, just like you said. I mean, this is a probable NFL first round draft pick and you're you're losing him and it's a huge thing to have to replace. We and, are, re- you know, let's, let's not also forget like Sam Stovall who, uh, who retired due to ongoing injuries. I mean, he may not have been as flashy as Slater, but I mean, that's depth. Sure. Absolutely. And I think there, so it's, it's wild because on one hand we're losing Slater. Um, and on the other hand, you're returning a lot of starts. Um, and not only are you returning a lot of starts, um, you're returning a lot of starts from, uh, you know, a group of guys, whether it be a Nick Urban, certainly a Gunnar Vogel, right? Um, and, you know, Sam Jarek, you could throw into this group too. But um, guys who project potentially at being more potent in a Coach Jake offense. Um, and again, that's like, it depends on, you know, like what Scuzz said, because Scuzz made it a very effective case here for he's going to dance with what he thinks the best personnel is, you know, and what the, what the best thing he's, what the, he sees as the best options. Right. But to the extent that we are going to run more, you know, downhill, we have the kind of guys to do it. Um, The big thing for me is, and I think this is one of those things that I, I will be kind of shocked if he doesn't start every game this season is Peter Skoronsky isn't just one of the biggest recruits Northwestern's ever gotten. He's a different kind of recruit from just about every offensive lineman Northwestern's ever signed. Um, and Rashawn Slater is is the perfect illustration of this. Rashawn Slater was a, you know, I think a three-star recruit, was not a massive recruit, was a guy who had an athletic pedigree, um, and was a guy who was tall and had the potential to, to really develop. And he developed almost immediately, right? He fit, he built into his height 
um, and immediately was was one of those guys where it's suddenly like blink. He was a division one, high division one tackle. And now he's probably going to be a first round draft pick. Um, but he was a guy where you're looking at him and, and you could fold, a, you know, another major recruit who might see the field this year, Zach Franks, right, who picked us decommitted from Penn State and chose Northwestern. Same kind of thing. You look at him and you're like, boy, you pack on the right weight. He gets his footwork down. And that is a potential NFL tackle right there. Skaronsky is not that. Skaronsky is ungodly, unreal power. Skaronsky is a guy where some people have him as the number one state and the number one player in the state of Illinois as a guard. And other sites had him as a five-star center. Because everyone's like, I don't know, you put this guy in the middle of the line somewhere and he just mauls people. And then he, this is a guy who holds like every conference uh, field record for throwing at a major high school in Illinois. He's a freak of nature with power. Um, and I think you're going to see him slot in somewhere right off the bat this year and be a four-year starter, a guy that we're running behind. Um, and... I think there are other guys like that too, but we were talking, you know, before the pod about all these guys, which freshmen are going to see the field. And I mentioned, oh, I think definitely Porter. And Sam was like, well, what about Skaronsky? And I realized in my brain, I don't think of him the way I think of every other freshman. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, he's not really a friend. Like he just comes and plays for four years immediately. Like that's who he is. So you know, I think it's going to be really interesting to see because you, you, you've you got guys like a Nick Urban, for example, where can play multiple positions in the interior line. Sam Gurak, same kind of deal. And then it's a question of, okay, so if you're trying to get Skaronsky onto the field, how do you kind of rearrange things? Would you put him at tackle, even though nominally he is a guard or even a center? Um, and it's going to be a really fascinating question. And, and again, it's not like it's only Skaronsky. Josh Preeb, massive recruit, picked us over Ohio State, mean SOB. Um, and then, of course, Franks, right? Um, and then all the guys in front of them. I mean, it's it's fascinating in a good way because a lot of times I feel like in years past, we've been like, oh, gosh, we have to find five guys here. <laughs> and, and, so, and, now, and now it's more like, which of these eight is it going to be, right? So, John, it's really funny what you just said about Skaronsky because I completely forgot to mention Jared Thomas, uh, who has also been lost from last year's team and is like was a phenomenal college player for Northwestern, was a great leader. And I've just like in my head, I've just slotted Skaronsky in its center. I think that's that's something we've seen in the past for Northwestern, whether it was a Brandon Vitable. Did Ben Burkett start as a freshman? Yeah, I'm. T- yeah, I don't think I so. Don't think I. I don't remember. Okay. So it's just Vitable then, who's who was the four year starter at center. I mean, Skaronsky feels like that type of player as well. Um, and I'm forgetting a guy from a couple years ago who was supposed to be that for us at center as well, and had a lot of snapping problems, and they ended up moving him, um, moving him down the line. Uh, he's Brad from North, Texas. Yes, Brad North. Thank you. Um, but so like like to me, we've got a ton of really solid players at guard uh urban jarek that you mentioned um you get into like a ben rather a josh Preeb, these freshman uh guys who are coming in who look who look really ph- phenomenal peter snodgrass uh 
who was a, a decent recruit. You know, we lost Stovall, um, who was who was in that mix as well. But I, like, I could even see you know uh, an uh, an Ethan Wiedekar who who played out at tackle uh, once upon a time potentially sliding in. But I I just I I think guard has generally been a really strong position for Northwestern. Um, I think you're going to see Franks and Vogel get the first shot at the tackles. And, it would be really interesting if it if it ends up being Franks at that other tackle spot. Um, yeah. Well, and then and then left tackle versus right tackle, like like moving Gunner over to over to left tackle. That's that's a big change. Like like there's an argument that you're better off keeping him at right tackle where he's where he's you know building on what he did last year, and then you're you're just setting Franks up to to start from 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 the get go at left tackle. Yeah, I mean, and flip, uh, flipping uh, from right to left, you have to completely flip everything in your mind. Like your muscle yeah, memory is if, set for the right, and to flip it to the left, it's hard. You're right, and I think you know if it was me, I'd leave go uh, leave Vogel at right tackle. And Vogel's a guy where I mean, we go way back with Gunner. He was thrown into the fire as a freshman um, in the worst possible situation, and it was kind of a disaster. And it wasn't his own fault, but I mean, he was just thrown in. I think it was too early. And he is a run-first tackle. To the extent that there are run-first tackles, that is what he is. But his pass pro has improved. Um, And again, he is a guy like, this is the kind of guy where football was taken away from him. And now he gets to play Maryland in the first week of the season. And like, he's going to be like a bear that you threw meat in front of. Like, a bunch of these guys, like all every guy we've mentioned, regardless of which of eight of these guys, and they'll probably all play, these guys are going to maul Maryland, okay? This is a great on-the-ground offensive line, regardless of which of these guys. I mean, again, it's like we think of, right, to your point, we think about some of these guys and lost in the quarterbacks and everything else was like, this is a good run-blocking offensive line. And all, you know, the three, four, five guys on this line were solid last year. Um, and there's a lot of depth now. This trench cats thing ain't no lie. Like there are a and lot Kurt of... Anderson, we trust. Yes. There are a lot of good young guys in this group. Um, and, you know, and they get some creamy frosting to start the season off. So, right, to your, you know, to your point, I think if you... If you want to kick the tires on, you know, Zach Franks um, the week before he's got to go to, you know, go play Iowa. Uh, Maryland is the kind of team where you'd get a guy's feet like that wet. But on the other hand, you know, if, if he's thinking right off the bat, look, I got to dance with the guys that that brung me um, with the respect. And again, I'm going to keep saying with the exception of Skaronsky, who, again, this guy, <laughs> this guy is an enraged grizzly that you just want to put in day one. But I mean, it's, it's a good group. Well, it's important to talk about Kurt Anderson, who is a career, like a proven career developer at, at the at, of O line at you know both levels, pro and college. Um, Adam Cushing was a really good recruiter and was a like a, a an assistant head coach in 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 training and a mentee of Fitz's and coached the O line and was not particularly adept at it, in my opinion, and. I think development at this position, you know, we looked at it a couple of years ago where, where John did an exhaustive analysis of the quality of recruits and then the quality of development that you got out of those recruits at Northwestern. And O-line was one of the major areas where we were deficient. And Kurt Anderson is going to change that. He's already changing that. And that doesn't mean that we're going to be, you know, an incredible O-line this year, but, um, but the reality is, and this is where this is so, you, 
uh, you look at the numbers and and you think about what Bajakian had to work with at, at Boston College, and so, so some of this some of this might be because of Bajakian and and the system he runs, etc. But I also think Boston College was was pretty strong on O line, so their their offensive line rated in the high twenties and low thirties for all the advanced rushing stats. Um, they were top fifteen in their power and stuff rate. Uh, they had a top 20 sack rating all in 2019. Like that was a really good performing O-line Northwestern's O-line by comparison. We were in the seventies on the rushing stats. Um, we were really terrible on standard downs and 47th in sack rate overall. So we've got a ways to go and that's having lost arguably our two best offensive linemen last year. Now, you know, Kurt Anderson, Anderson entering his second year. He's been he's been working with this crew. He's been developing them. I am I am optimistic that we have the guys to to slot in. But this you know it might be a little bit of work in progress. And that is where it is so critical that we have a proven, experienced starting quarterback coming to this team. And 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 it all comes back to here. You know, we've been dancing around it for a while, but uh, yeah, quarterback. Questions, yeah. and, questions, and so, questions. But and really, there is an answer. So, so Peyton Ramsey has started thirty-one games in college, or I should say, he's played in thirty-one games in college. He started all twelve games, uh, or played on all twelve games in twenty eighteen for Indiana. Played in eleven games last year. Um, he has he has you know had to share time with Michael Penix at times, um, but I want to highlight how consistent he's been. So. His, his his freshman year, 65% completion, 10 TDs, 5 picks. His second year, 66% completion, 19 TDs, 13 picks. Last year, again, splitting time, 68% completion, 13 TDs, 5 picks. That's, I mean, this is what we're inserting into the Northwestern offense. And, and I know he had a really good O-line at, at IU last year um, and, and, in, and in 2018, but, like, th- this this dude is a revelation for Northwestern, and that's that's not to say that the QBs we had around last year couldn't develop and get better this season, especially having Coach Pajakian. But but Ramsey is just going to bring a a level of stability and experience to this the the most critical leadership role on an offense um, at at a time where we desperately need it. I I even. I wanted to look at the per game stats or, or look, look at his, his, his game log just to understand like, where has he fallen down? Cause a lot of times you see, you know, you look at, you look at an Adrian Martinez who is like, you know, loading up on the cupcakes and then really struggling anytime he plays a defense. And with a couple of like reasonable exceptions, that's just not true for Ramsey. So in 2019, he had arguably two bad games. One was against Michigan, where he was only 58% complete for 200 yards. I mean, that's pretty understandable, right? He threw a pick. Um, that's a pretty darn good defense. We don't, Ohio- we don't play Michigan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't. And against Ohio State, he was 57% complete for 162 yards. Ditto. Every other game, he looked pretty damn good. I mean, he was only 59% complete against Purdue, but he threw for 337 and three TDs. He struggled a little bit with Tennessee in the bowl game, but I mean, like the the guy was was sixty six to seventy percent completion in every other in every other matchup, and I know that you know the likes of Maryland and Nebraska didn't have much of the way of defense, but he was pretty good against us. He was pretty good against against Penn State, 
Go back to 2018 again. It's it's Michigan and Ohio State where he, where he struggled, and that's it. Like this this guy is legit against the breadth of competition in the Big Ten, and he is going to be able to step into this role at Northwestern and look the part. And like Clayton Thorson was an incredible QB for four years who we constantly thought was held back by, by Mick McCall and the, and the, and the, and the unwillingness or inability to construct a, a true downfield attack. But even still, even still, if you go back to his senior year and you look at, at, the average uh, yards per, per catch for a couple of key players. Kyrick McGowan, 17.7 yards per catch. J.J. Jefferson, 18 yards per catch. This is We have the talent to go downfield and attack defenses in our wide receiver core. And now we have a quarterback and a coach that can really bring that to bear. And that is the reason to be excited about this Northwestern offense in 2020. There are going to be fits and starts. There are going to be times where we're up against a Wisconsin or a, um, oh, wait, that's the only good defense we play. So, like, <laughs> like, again, like, like our offense is not going to be Florida or, you know, um, Lane Kiffin or Alabama or anything like that. But there is a whole host of reasons to believe that it can be dramatically better than last year. And with that defense that John already talked about, like this is the makings of a really solid football team. Yeah, I was going to say our, our offense might not be Florida or Ole Miss or Bama, but our defense is going to be better than what we've, what we've seen from the SEC so far this year. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I think we're, we're all just so, you know, not snake bitten, but we're all just so scarred from the Hunter Johnson experience last year, which I'm not all hanging on Hunter Johnson. I'm just saying the idea that a major quarterback is going to come in and make an impact and then have it all go so wrong that it's, it's leading us to all be gun shy, right? Like, I mean, like we saved Ramsey for last and I'm like, and I'm kind of like thinking, all right, well, we got to get this out of our running backs and this out of it. And it's almost like Part of my brain is still back in, all right, how are we going to manage around lack of quarterback play? And how are we going to make this work on the ground? And like, what's the line going to read? Right. This is a guy who threw for 371 yards against Penn State last year. That's who we're getting. Um, and it's right. And then it's it's like you, if you allow yourself, and again, it's like, we think of where we were at the start of last season and you, you know, you want to like slap yourself when you do this. But if you allow yourself, to envision a situation where we get really competent quarterback play, um, we ought to plow most of the defenses we play on the schedule. Now I say most, that's like five to six of the eight, um, but we should shred with the group that we have. I mean, and that's because if we can put a competent offense on the field, there are just these flat, bad defenses that we get to play. And a lot of them we get to play really early when we ought to be healthy. Um, and, you know, so, yeah, if if he is the guy um, that we, you know, dare to, to believe that he could be, um, you can just see it all sliding together. Yeah, one more week and then we get to actually see what's on the field. Um, yeah, we'll come back. We'll be back next week to, well... We'll see if Fitz releases a depth chart. I mean, I mean, we he has done that in the past, but you know, I'm sure he'd rather not. 
even if we do get a depth chart, there'll be more ores on that than anything else, I, I would imagine. Um, let's run through the schedule. We, we've run through it before, but uh, you know, quickly top to bottom. Um, start off on the 24th at home against Maryland, 6.30 p.m. start on Big Ten Network. Uh, Halloween at Iowa, home for Nebraska on the 7th. At Purdue on the 14th, home against Wisconsin uh, on the 21st. The 28th at Michigan State, at Minnesota, December 5th. And then the hat will stay in Evanston as Illinois comes to town on December 12th. Uh, and then December 19th, Big Ten title game or whatever other uh, championship week game we end up getting. So we'll we'll see how that all uh, pans out. But uh, we, you know, we've talked about the schedule, you know, Wisconsin is going to be tough. Everyone else we think is beatable uh, in one fashion or another. I mean, I would, I would, I would split it up this way. So Maryland and Illinois, we are clearly better than, and we should be able to beat those teams. Um, Wisconsin, we are clearly not as good as them. Although the Jack Cohn injury, like really, really levels the playing field a bit. And we're just going to have to see, I think, Iowa and Purdue, and I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to Minnesota, are kind of that next tier of like, you know, beating those three teams is a great stretch goal for Northwestern. I, I think I think it's probably going to be tough to to do all three if if you know the the if the worlds align like we think they could align. I mean, Northwestern should absolutely be able to knock all those three teams off, and then you know, Michigan State, Nebraska. Um, I'm not sure if I'm missing anybody else are kind of like in that, in that second from the bottom tier of teams that I think Northwestern's definitely better than and should beat. But, um, you know, there's, there's probably a range of outcomes there. Yeah. I think one of the big things is I, we go back to the, the running back situation last year and the year before, and that, you know, this running backs dropping like flies, right? Well, that's such, that's such a good point about two years ago, John, because like for like Bowser came out of nowhere to do good things. He em- but... well, he he emerged almost because we had exhausted other options. Yeah, um, yeah. Th- there were two two and a half games in between when Jeremy Larkin got injured and and had to retire, or or, or he, I guess he didn't get injured, but when when Jeremy Larkin had to retire and when Bowser emerged, where we basically couldn't run the ball, including like a brutal game against Michigan State, if I recall correctly. Right, and to be fair, I mean. There, we have a ton of good backs on this roster. They just, if they're healthy, but it's kind of this perfect storm where, I mean, okay, so Iowa two years ago, unreal defensive line. This coming year, they may have a very solid defensive line or they may not, but we don't really know. They're sandwiched, they're the meat in in an otherwise cream puff defensive line sandwich of Maryland, Nebraska, and Purdue. Those are bad defensive lines all of them it's just degrees of badness and they're like with a like we get them while the backfield is healthy so you're going to get Isaiah Bowser giving his best against at least part of this group um and I think that makes a huge difference and again that's that's with me like already like hedging my bets against the guy who threw for 371 yards against Penn State last year so like that's not factoring that part in 
um, Orbajakian, etc. This is just me being like, we take our power, we go heavy, and we try to run over these teams. That will work against three of the four teams, if nothing else, let alone if all of these other pieces lock into place. So if you ask me, depending on way things break, I mean, if you give me half, you know, if you give me Iowa or Purdue, and then Maryland and Nebraska, and we're three and one, playing a Wisconsin game for all the marbles. I mean, we'd all take that. A potential pivot game against Wisconsin. That's, I think, what we're shooting for every year, is to be like going into that Wisconsin game feeling like it's for all the marbles. And this is a year where that definitely can happen, where you could see a situation where things break the right way, everything goes the way we need it to. We come out of that game 4-1, and one, holding a tiebreaker over Wisconsin. I mean, you know, dare to dream, but... I think we're a team that, at least in recent history, likes to dig itself holes and then dig its way out of holes to produce successful seasons. Well, um, this is not the season for that. This is the start fast season because there is just a lot of meat on the bone early on for a team, you know, while it's healthy to kind of plow some of these teams. Um, So, you know, I I like the way this schedule breaks down. I I guess the one other thing I would throw in, too, to your point, Scuzz, about Purdue and Minnesota, it's funny. The overall profile of those teams, I think, is very similar in terms of, like, great offenses, bad defenses. I think it's just, like, the way that they do that is completely different. Um, You know, I think part of me is, like, part of me is thinking, look, if Minnesota's going to try to go heavy with that offensive line and go at us, and Greg Newsom can just cover Bateman, easier said (laughs) than done. Um, I like that. Where's Purdue? Like, you know, scares the bejesus out of me, as I'm sure they do. Like, <laughs> yeah, Purdue, Purdue's, Purdue's a horrible, horrible matchup for pretty <laughs> yeah. much everyone, yeah. um, including Ohio State. Uh, like, they're they're just a tough nut. Um, yeah, and again, yeah, I, I mean, Minnesota is like I am. I I believe Minnesota is 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 winning. You know, more games than maybe they maybe most people just until. Um, until I'm proven otherwise, uh, I just I'm still snake bit from last year. Yeah, I was gonna say it's a little gun shy from last year. I I don't blame you. I mean, I, they really came up on us all on by surprise. So, I, um, I I'll say this: there's a really good chance that heading into mid to late November, we are a player in in this whole race, um, and that's as good of a thing that we can hope for. Two quick things before we get out of here. I, I know we're running a little bit long, but I uh, do want to mention, um, you know, we, I don't know if you talked about this on the pod, but uh, the NCAA today just confirmed that there is no win requirement for bowl uh, eligibility this year. So any every team is eligible for a bowl. So they will be able to fill all the bowls. Um, 39 bowl games, I believe, uh, is on the, on the slate uh, for this season. Um, so... The Big Ten's going to be filling all their slots, is how I read that. Like, there's going to be nine, I think, nine Big Ten bowl, bowl slots, I believe, is what it is. So, you know, just kind of that is, you know, we don't have to worry about, like, are we get, are we going to hit 500 to be bowl eligible? Lovey's already going, two makes it a streak, baby. Two makes it a streak. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> um, and, and one other cool little note um, – the NCAA also announced that, uh, you know, how they, they gave that extra year of eligibility to all the fall sport uh, athletes from for this year. They also 
uh, just now say they're extending that to the winter sports just because they still don't like for basketball and um you know all, all the other winter sports you don't they don't know how covid's going to be affecting the basketball season and you know with with that big question mark they just said you know what anyone who wants basically a free season and it's okay with the school we're going to we're going to not burn a year of eligibility so you know we're sitting there thinking wow that that could be two more years of Lindsay Pulliam assuming she doesn't go pro which yeah, she I think absolutely that's a pipe dream. Will, hopefully, I think that's a pipe dream. Frankly, I think <laughs> I think she's going to get drafted and drafted high uh, after next season. But you know, we'll see. Yeah, here's hoping. Um, that I mean, that would be an absolute dream for us. Um, but uh, you know, yeah, I again, it's kind of funny because you're used to saying, well, you know, they got to chase millions of dollars. WNBA salaries aren't quite there yet, but a Lindsey Pulliam's going to be, you know, playing overseas no doubt and playing in the WNBA and everything but you know we're we're greedy if we can get two more years from Lindsay Pulliam we'll take it and you know basketball's on the horizon I mean uh, practice started I think either yesterday or today and you know we'll have to figure out how we're gonna cover men's basketball this year because well can't be any worse than last year is is what we're hoping at least but uh all I'm all I'm focused on is Northwestern. Last last March, Northwestern was prepared to head into the women's tournament with one of the best backcourts in the country, and that is all of that backcourt is back. <laughs> um, and that's that's where my mind is. And you know, if if Ty Berry wants to you know put a cherry on the top of that cupcake, I'm more than happy to accept that. But for right now, it's like my mind's women's ball. <laughs> oh, for sure, one hundred percent. Um, anything else to to cover before we get out of here? I mean, next week we'll be back for for game week uh, prep. I mean, just ten days, guys. Ten days. Oh, it's so crazy. I almost, I mean, with everything that's happened, I almost can't believe that that uh, that we're actually going to get football. And I'm, let me find something to furiously knock on as yeah, I say that. I was going to say like ten days. I mean, I I fully believe it is happening at like we're also watching like one sec game this weekend has been postponed two. i think two like, oh oh yeah you're right Dandy. two i think a, i think a third might be coming i don't know we'll see what happens with alabama um i mean obviously they're not gonna they're not gonna exit just for nick just for nick saban but um i like how many people did that dude have contact with on the team he is the coach after all so we'll see We'll see. Um, you know, I think circle your calendars week four in the in the Big Ten schedule as, as to when the, the cancellations um, might be likely to, to, to pile up a little bit. But um, I I I fully believe that we are going to get football and we're going to be able to, to have most, if not all of of the proposed season. So um, and I guess, you know, the other thing that, that that'll be interesting is seeing the Big Ten's testing and, and how that how that works out. And if that helps the Big Ten avoid some of the some of the problems that you know the likes of Notre Dame and the SEC and others have had, yeah, we'll definitely keep our eyes open um, on that as we get into next weekend. But uh, oh, well, let's go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website westlawpirates.com where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Westlaw Pirates, and you can always email the show westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. 
and look for us in the west lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasbaugh, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.